0: And welcome to my existential crisis, the podcast where we talk about all the things that make us question our entire sense of self. My name is Madison Effley.
1: and my name is Jared Shark.
0: And we are back on our bullshit. We're back to bullshit or no shit. And Jared, this is the first time that you're doing this with me, and I'm so freaking excited. I'm
1: ready. I,
0: I'm so. I'm. <laughs> I'm kind of afraid that you're going to know some of these, but I tried my darndest. So we will. Okay. We will see. So just to recap for people if it's your first time listening um bullshit or no shit is basically a ripoff of beyond belief factor fiction um Hayley and I talked about how we used to love that show whenever we were younger um and I've always wanted this to be more of like not just true crime and paranormal but like anything that's kind of wild and crazy and fucked up so this is just like an episode where I can cover a bunch of those types of things that are maybe like shorter and not not worthy of a full episode Um, so i'm gonna tell five short stories ranging from any time any genre but all will be unbelievable in some way you'll have to guess which ones are true at least one will be true and one will be fiction and you won't know how many of each you're just gonna have to guess jared is gonna be the one guessing on your behalf um but for everyone who is listening i will reveal the results at the end of the episode so, without further ado, I will tell you the first of my stories today. So, this first one I have titled, Don't Fall Asleep.
1: I already don't like it.
0: <laughs> if it makes you feel any That's better. Terrifying. I I, uh, I don't even know what I was going to say. I literally t- totally lost my train of thought. I don't even know what else. It doesn't matter. Uh, oh, yeah. I was just going to say that like these are not happy stories. So, like, it's going to get pretty, think, it's yeah, get pretty fucked title. pretty quickly. It's okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah. Um, We have all heard of the incredibly fucked up stories from the Holocaust and the really terrible things that would happen to people who were captured during World War II, but the Nazis weren't the only ones who were conducting horrific experiments on people, although these were just like the stories that we hear the most of. The Soviets also took this as their chance to use test subjects for awful research. So in 1943, or about that time from what our sources say, a Soviet research team wanted to learn more about sleep and how it affects humans. What, like why, to this day, we still don't have a lot of answers when it comes to sleep, like why we need it, why we dream, why we can't go without it, why some people have a hard time sleeping. These are still answers that we are still looking for. So, I mean, this is super relevant of the time too. So they were on a mission to just find those answers. So specifically, they wanted to learn about the effects of sleep deprivation on the human body. So what Soviet scientists did was they used five POWs or prisoners of war to monitor and they expected the experiment to run for 30 days. It would be 30 days without sleep. And these prisoners were kept sealed in a room and they used this experimental stimulant on them. Um, they both injected it in them um, to help keep them awake. They would like blast noise and um, music and. Um, in, like, periodic times, they might, have like, have some strobes on or just, like, go in and, like, if they needed to, like, jolt them awake. Um, but they kind of wanted to do, like, the bothering them as a last-minute resort. They wanted to kind of, like, just let mm-hmm. them stay awake on their own. So since they weren't super sure of how this stimulant was going to affect the participants, they... The scientists wanted to keep a close eye on their oxygen levels and their vitals to make sure that they were still like alive and healthy. Um, in addition to keeping an eye on their vitals, there were microphones in the room for prisoners to communicate with the scientists on the outside, and there was also a small five-inch thick glass window, which is what separated them. The room had books in it. There were cots without bedding, so if they wanted to lay down, they could, but they couldn't fall asleep. So they were made so they could rest just like but uncomfortable exactly the time. exactly yeah um there was running water and a toilet and there was enough dried rations to last all the prisoners for over a month and i will say one of the reasons why they were able to get people to do it i mean not that they really volunteered to do this because they were prisoners of war um but kind of an incentive was that they gave them more rations than they would if they were just in the pow camps mm. so scientists said hey If you last the 30 days and you just stay awake for 30 days, we will set you free. You'll be free. And of course, the prisoners were willing to do whatever it took to be set free. And of course, the Soviets were never actually going to let that happen. So, for the first five days, everything was totally fine. The prisoners hardly complained, but the researchers noted that their conversations were turning a little bit darker as the days went on. They started to discuss more of their traumatic moments from their lives, friends who they had seen killed, people who they witnessed were tortured or people who they had tortured themselves during the war, children being slaughtered innocently, etc. Dark things, terrible things, war stuff. By day six, the prisoners started to get super paranoid with each other they would um, turn away from each other kind of like hide their rations even though there was plenty for everybody Um, they would whisper into the microphones to the researchers they thought that they could kind of somehow win the trust of the scientists if they would like turn on their fellow researchers and kind of make it seem like they were on their side Um, and this lasted for days so on the ninth day this is when the first prisoner started to scream and he screamed for three hours. He would pace around the room, just constantly screaming until his voice was hoarse. Um, even whenever his voice was hoarse, he still continued screaming, or at least trying to, um, even though like all he could really get out were squeaks. And from this, the researchers suspected that he had torn his vocal cords. Also, a slight tangent, vocal health is very important, people. Don't abuse your voice. You yeah. only have one <laughs> PSA over. Cool. Okay. Even more strangely, the scientists noted that the other prisoners just didn't react to this. So if they, some of them would like join in with the prisoner and scream as well. But overall, like they just kind of deadpan, did not really, like, kind mm. of just like, ignored that person. At one point, there were two prisoners specifically who weren't screaming, but instead they they ripped out book pages and they smeared their feces on it and put it over the glass window to keep the scientists from seeing in, presumably to like give them privacy. I don't know if this was because of the paranoia or what, Um, but soon after this the screaming kind of stopped and so did the paranoid whispering. They just got kind of really quiet. So they did, they were still able to see in despite like the pages being up there mm-hmm. and they started to get worried because they weren't really hearing anything. So everything was working properly. The mics were working. There was you know plenty of oxygen, um, but they noticed that not only was there oxygen being consumed for five people but it was consumed in the amount five people would consume under like strenuous exercise. So, it's day 14 now and they're worried. So they're like, "Hey, this is the point where we're going to interfere. Like, we're going to step in, make sure that like everything is okay." So they use their intercoms and there was like, "Hey, I need you guys to react. I need you guys to make su- I need to make sure that you guys are awake. You guys are going to be like messing up this experiment if you're not." And they didn't really hear anything. So they're like, okay, it's time for us to go in and, like, we have to intervene. So they announced this on the intercom that, hey, we're going to be coming in. And immediately the prisoners started to scream again and begged to stay in the room. They weren't sure what to do, the researchers. So they barged into the room so that they could rescue them or whatever they wanted to do with them yeah but the prisoners began to scream even louder they were begging for the stimulants to be given to them again um they wanted to, to stay awake they were afraid of going to sleep and they did find one of the prisoners dead whenever they entered only four out of the five were actually alive they noticed that the food rations had hardly been touched past day seven or eight um and they noticed that there were like chunks of flesh from the dead man who were like kind of ripped off um and pages of
1: clawed them off himself
0: yeah yeah or something like that yeah and they also noticed so that like pages of books were taken and like stuffed into the drain in the center to kind of clog up the room if it was running with water so the rest of the surviving subjects they also had large portions of their skin torn off and the researchers deduced that they thought it was teeth at first that they were like Chewing on themselves, but they realized that it was they were ripping it off with their fingers because their like fingertips were like nubs, like they were like raw. And they also noticed that that because of like the way they positioned, they were most likely all self-inflicted. So the man Mm -hmm. who was dead, they presumed that you know he had done that to himself and either starved or had done that and died from exhaustion maybe I don't know we're almost done with this one and you'll notice that I wasn't able to use any names and this is because all the names had been redacted and the only way we actually know about this is because one of the researchers had their lab notes Um, it was found in a bunker towards the end of the second world war and his name was Mm -hmm. also redacted but there were dates on them and it had the initials OO on them which we think is because this research was part of Operation Ozo Aviakim, I think that's how you pronounce it, which was a secret Soviet operation that partnered with the Nazis during World War Two. So that's where we think that it came from. And okay. what happened to the rest of the prisoners, we have no idea. There's no record of that. We have no record of what their results were, if they found any results, just that these people went through this horrible thing. Yikes. Yikes is right. Yeah.
1: That's you know, I I was kind of I'm not gonna lie, I have heard of this one before. Yeah. But not in like the extensive detail that you went into it. I think I had like the basic knowledge and understanding of it. Okay. But I've also seen a lot of like visuals, like visual depictions of it of what it could have looked like. Yeah,
0: I those those visuals aren't aren't accurate.
1: Yeah, so but I have heard of this one before.
0: Okay. So that is that's I'll st- wait till the other one. Story number one. Okay. This next one is called Do You Really Wanna Know? Do I? <laughs> I don't know, Jeremy. Do <laughs> <After that one? laughs> All right. Enora Petrova was born in Portland, Oregon to Russian immigrants. Also, this has a very heavy Rus- Russian. I, yeah, I did not intend for that to be the case, but on here there? we are. <laughs> um, so she was born to Russian immigrants, Mikhail Petrovic and Nancy Petrova on February 6, 1995. At the age of two, she became very sick with pneumonia, which resulted in a lung infection. And the doctor recommended exercise to help her work out her lungs a little bit more. From then on, her parents pushed her into figure skating. And at first this was just a hobby, but as Anora and her parents began to fall in love with the sport, the more they dreamed of Anora one day competing in the Olympics. And Anora loved this, she lived for competing. Her training regimen was so intense that she would wake up early before school to get an hour or two of practice time in, go to school and then have more practice after school. So she was fully dedicated. Her parents even hired her own personal figure skating coach, a man named Sergio Kozlov, to help her train for competitions. And again, this was rinse and repeat, this was her life and she loved doing it. Some might say this was too much for a child, but she was all about it. She was dedicated to improving. By the age of 12, she had already become an incredibly decorated figure skater, both locally and regionally, and next, her parents had an eye on national titles for her at this point in her career. So Mm -hmm. a few days before her next regional competition, Anora was like, you know what? I've done enough of these competitions where, like, I'm just going to google myself i just want to like see what's out there like see if there's any news about me like just see what people are saying Mm -hmm. i mean also it's like the age of early internet so like that's natural for kids to do yeah but she was surprised when along with like the news articles that she saw of herself that one would typically see um she found a wikipedia page that was created of her and it wasn't anything much but it had her name her place of birth her parents names like the typical biographical stuff um like the very mm-hmm. basics nothing too in-depth and then like a list of the competitions she had won at this point again all of this is pretty standard nothing like that you couldn't find in news coverage from her from like newspapers yeah. or television or whatever there was one thing that she did notice and that it listed her as the winner for an upcoming regional competition and obviously this hadn't happened yet. She had not competed yet. So she thought maybe like someone was just trying to encourage her. And she wasn't Mm -hmm. the one who made the page. So she thought like maybe her parents did it. But when she asked them, they denied it. Although they they did think it was very sweet that someone was keeping up with their daughter's accomplishments and like was following her and her career so far. Um, It kind of like gave them excitement about like, yeah, she's this budding figure skater. A few days later, she ended up winning her regional championships, just like the Wikipedia said. So she kind of made this her routine so like like a couple days beforehand like she would look it up to like see if she was on there see if someone had updated it about her and she was usually on there she made this a routine occurrence before every one of her competitions to help motivate her to do her best and each time the wiki page was always updated in advance with her rankings mm-hmm. and like what she got so fast forward on march 7th 2011 just days after she got her driver's license anora got into a car accident just before a really really big competition she was supposed mm-hmm. to be on her way to skating practice before school but she decided that she was going to skip that day and meet her boyfriend before classes started her parents were furious that she lied to them for skipping her lesson but they were really mostly just relieved that she was okay and pretty much unscathed Um, and despite her being relatively unharmed she did have a sprained ankle and a concussion and was still injured enough to not be in a position to compete the following week so she was obviously devastated so were her parents she'd been training especially hard for this one which was exactly one of the reasons why she felt comfortable enough to miss a day of training and the day of the competition passed and anora realized that like she never checked online like she had normally done before competitions for the extra motivation um, since she wasn't going to be competing so out of curiosity after the competition she went to check and saw that the wiki page had been updated but it was very different it still had the typical biographical notes at the top but when she went to look in the notes for her most recent competition that she missed instead of her stats and ranking it said quote Honora was unable to compete because she is a greedy, petulant whore who would rather do her leg spreading in bed than on the ice.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, not good. Jeez. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> so this is, <laughs> this is the first time anything besides stats and rankings and biological information, really anything personal, appeared on the page. It was mm-hmm. just super simple beforehand. So she was shocked and horrified and embarrassed. She thought maybe this was just like, at first she thought it was like a fan keeping up with her success, but this was very different. This felt very menacing. Um, She was able to create an account for herself and change the page, but every time she would change it, it would just change back a couple hours later. Like whoever was updating it was on it. She didn't tell her parents about this at first, and when she eventually did, she kind of downplayed it a little bit, and they kind of just chalked it up to just like bullying they didn't, like, who are they going to go to? Like, my someone said mean things about my kid online. Like,
1: yeah, it's kind of hard to do, report. Really. Like, who do
0: you report that to?
1: Yeah.
0: So she tried to just put this out of her mind and focus on her next upcoming competition. After all, like, this was just a page on the internet. Probably nobody besides herself checked this and whoever is updating it. So weeks later, she was back to training, back to prepping for her next meet. But her ankle still wasn't quite right from the accident, she was still optimistic about how she would perform in the next competition. And again, she decided to not check her Wikipedia, her Wikipedia page just in case that comment was there again. She didn't want it to like get mm-hmm. in her head and upset her. Unfortunately, her ankle wasn't able to support her during one of her jumps. I think it's called like a toe jump or something. It's like one of the most difficult yeah. ones. And her ankle kind of rolled and she fell to the ice And which obviously resulted in her landing last place. She was upset, thought, you know, she just needed more time to heal, but she couldn't shake the curiosity of, like, did somebody update this one again? So when she went to check, her heart sank. This time, even the biographical part was edited, saying the following. Quote, Honora was despised by her parents as her existence was due to an unplanned pregnancy after a night of intoxication. Honora is disliked by all who knew her, especially those who spent the most time with her. She is a greedy, selfish pig who only cares about herself. Honora Petrova is a selfish little bitch who is going to get what she deserves. And then it continued. Quote, her parents spent years of time and money sacrificing for her success, but none of it was ever appreciated. Her parents unfortunately passed away in a car accident on May 2nd, 2011, as they were on their way to their ungrateful brats competition. They would leave Anora as a friendless orphan, completely alone in the world to think about her actions.
1: So That's like (laughs) really intense cyberbullying. It's like
0: not good (laughs) at all.
1: (laughs) Before... This was, like, around when the internet was first starting, you said, right?
0: Yes. (laughs) Like... Jeez. Yeah, not good. Like, it was, like, wild. The wild, wild west of the internet. (laughs) So she showed her parents this immediately, um, and they contacted local authorities because this was more threatening. They had no idea who could be writing this, and the police were really starting with nothing to track down the culprit. But even more frustratingly, there was no real harm done. There were no laws broken. No direct threats were actually made. So the police didn't have a real sense of urgency to investigate this case over others. Her next competition was rapidly approaching. And in order to keep themselves safe and ensure their safe arrival, Enora's parents decided they were going to go to her competition with her coach, Sergio. But her competition came. Mm -hmm. And her competition went. And her parents weren't there. They were at no show. And so was Sergio. Oh no. The following day, police show up at Sergio's house to question him. And, you know, being the last one to see her parents alive. But he was already gone. After some time, they were able to get a warrant and search his home. And within days, they were able to trace the wiki IP address back to him as he was the one who was updating the page. So in short from the circle the circumstantial evidence that we were able to collect basically he had been obsessed with her from a a young age because he had been training with her for a very young age and he got really jealous whenever Mm. she saw somebody else um thinking that she should only see him and especially whenever that someone else led her to fail her competition essentially he decided that she needed to be punished um the bodies of anora's parents were never found but they are presumed dead so anora did end up becoming an orphan and she moved in with a great aunt across the state um and being traumatized with all of this she she just gave up figure skating and just kind of went under the radar they were never able to find sergio but even if he had been found without a body everything else is really just circumstantial and i don't I don't really know if they'd be able to prosecute it anyway. So Anora was able mm-hmm. to go in and delete the page, and it was never restored or updated after that.
1: You know, Madison, typically whenever someone gets a wiki page, that's like yeah. a big accomplishment, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Like you've, you've yes. made it in whatever field that you're doing if you were represented on Wikipedia, but... That's, yeah, that's just a bit, a bit much. I don't, I don't don't vibe with that.
0: Well, maybe you'll vibe with this one more. (laughs) So this one isn't as bad. It's called, what's the scoop? So we're going to 1956. The SS Andrea Doria was a beautiful 697-foot sea liner, and it was considered to be Italy's largest, fastest, and safest ship. There were three swimming pools on the decks for passengers to enjoy, and it was actually dubbed a floating art gallery due to its paintings, tapestries, and murals. The ship also had two radar screens, which is relatively new technology at the time, and the hall was divided into 11 watertight compartments having already completed 100 transatlantic trips safely there was no doubt whatsoever that the 101st trip wouldn't be the same but as we know from history and ships nothing is guaranteed out on the ocean Mm -hmm. so on july 25th of that year the ship set sail off the new eastern coast of the u.s in heavily trafficked waters basically a lot of ships were going through those parts the same day A 524-foot Swedish liner called the Stockholm took off from New York to go home to Gothenburg. Soon after, a heavy fog rolled in, but neither ship was following the proper rules of the road for ocean travel. So the first ship, the Andrea Doria, they did follow protocol for the most part. The captain slowed the ship down and turned on the fog whistle, but they still wanted to stay on the schedule, so he only slowed the speed down a little bit. But not as much as he should have hmm. that was at least better than the stockholm who did not take any precautions um not only did they not take their proper precautions but they also went more north of their intended route in hopes of shaving off time for its journey and the stockholm was not aware of the andrea doria's presence as it made these adjustments both of the ships again were equipped with radar and they were using it properly. properly but it seemed like they both misinterpreted what it was telling them or at least one of them misinterpreted something Mm -hmm. for some reason they did detect each other, but it seems like someone misread it and inadvertently steered the Stockholm right into the Andrea Doria instead of the other way. And so when visual contact was made, it was already imminent. that They would collide. It was way too late for that. So, Mm -hmm. Both ships did what they could to try to turn and stop movement or go backwards. But at 11.10 p.m., the bow of the Stockholm plowed directly into the side of the Andrea Doria, penetrating 40 feet into the side where it remained for a few seconds and then rebounded out, leaving a giant hole in the Doria. The impact killed 46 people on the Andrea Doria and five on the Stockholm. Immediately... The story broke out, and every major news outlet in the U.S. was reporting on it. A man named Edward Morgan, a news correspondent for ABC News, was the one to report this tragedy, and unbeknownst to his colleagues, his 14-year-old daughter, Linda Morgan, was aboard the ship. Just before he was about to go on and report about the Andrea Doria wreckage, he was informed about the tragedy and that his daughter was missing and presumed dead. He just had to wait for more information. So despite this, Edward maintained himself. He still went on to report the story. He never lost composure. He never even mentioned his daughter. He just told it as it was, and that was it. As soon as he got off the air, another news story about the wreckage was currently breaking. A girl who was asleep in one of the directly impacted rooms of the Andrea Doria woke up after the crash and didn't know where she was. She began to call out for her mother, began calling out, where am I? And a man from the Stockholm ran out after her to the front of the ship where he heard the screams coming from. And when he reached her, he couldn't believe what he was seeing. So on the bow of the Stockholm, on the very front that ran into the Andrea Doria, was a bed. And the bed... In that was a relatively unhurt 14-year-old girl named Linda Morgan, the news anchor Edward Morgan's daughter. So when the Stockholm rammed into the side of the Andrea Doria, the bow scooped up the bed Linda was on, dragged it deeper into the ship, and then whenever it finally bounced out, it brought the bed and Linda on it linda morgan was dubbed the miracle girl and edward went on to report about her survival then she only had a broken arm and was later reunited reunited with her mother who also survived the wreckage in the second news break edward did discuss his daughter's miraculous survival he talked about his difficulty delivering the news whenever it was about somebody he loved but especially his daughter and linda went on to make a full recovery but she did suffer from survivor's guilt as her stepfamily, her Mm stepfather and her half-sister were killed in the wreckage
1: poor guy not knowing for that long that's got to be
0: i know like you like go on the news and just make sure like everything is okay put on and a brave face is... yeah that's awful <laughs> this one's probably my favorite
1: okay. not to
0: like put drops of any kind of thought in your mind but i love this one
1: i like the title of the last one the most so <laughs> far but Thank you. Okay,
0: so I couldn't think of a title for this. I couldn't choose rather. It's either Don't Fuck With Doug or You Should Have <laughs> Seen the Other Guy. <laughs> you can choose. Okay. Everyone you like the best.
1: <laughs> Don't Fuck With Doug. I like that. Don't
0: Fuck With Doug. Cool. Yeah. Around midnight in, in 1986, Doug and Kristen Wells were pulling up on their street in western Montana when they noticed a camper was parked on the street in front of their house. Neither of them recognized the vehicle, so Doug got out of his car, went up to the camper, and peered inside. And he saw a man asleep on the front seat. He assumed like maybe he just needed to pull over and rest, so Doug didn't wake him at first. And then he went back to his wife and talked about what they wanted to do, but they decided like he might have just, he must have just like randomly parked there to sleep, and he was gonna be gone in the morning. So Mm -hmm. they both went inside, tried to ignore this random guy in a camper. In front of their house and just started getting ready for bed so as they were preparing themselves for that evening doug was going around the house to collect the trash and take it out for the garbage men in the morning and when he went outside as soon as he stepped out he saw the same man who had been sleeping in the camper now standing at the bottom of his steps obviously he's startled he yells out to the man and asks him Mm -hmm. what are you doing and immediately the man puts his hands up. He says, I mean no harm. My name is Wayne Nance. He said he was actually Kristen's co-worker at the local furniture store in town. And Wayne said he was driving down their street earlier that day, that evening rather. And he noticed someone was walking around their property and peering into the windows of their house. And he said that he knew it was their house, but he didn't see Kristen's car and it didn't look like anyone was home. So he thought he was just going to park outside the home until the couple returned to try to scare the intruder away with his presence but waiting for the couple to return wayne said he fell asleep in his camper which doug Mm. saw him asleep in his camper so like that makes sense obviously doug was very caught off guard by this whole story you know a man supposed there's a, a random man in front of his house telling him about another man who was looking into his house earlier that day so he just doesn't know what to think so doug is like so is it, th- did you see the man after this? Wayne says no. It was too dark and he didn't have a flashlight. But Wayne suggested, hey, why don't you grab some flashlights from inside the house and I'll help you look for this guy on the property. So Doug agreed and welcomed him inside while he was like finding the flashlights. But the minute Wayne stepped in the door behind Doug, he closed the door, took out a metal pipe he was hiding and bashed Doug with it over the head. Startled. Tank. Yeah. <laughs> startled. <clears throat> obviously like, what the fuck? Doug turned around and Wayne hit him again, this time in the front of the face directly with the metal pipe. And before long, the two of them were struggling on the ground. Kristen obviously hears this commotion, comes running down the stairs to find her husband, bleeding profusely from his head on the ground, trying to protect himself while her Mm. coworker, for some reason, is standing over him by the door, just beating the shit out of him. So before (laughs) she could do anything, wayne noticed her pulled out a pistol and told her that she had to tie up her husband's arms and legs again in shock she doesn't know what's happening just that her random co-worker is here beating up her husband she thinks like this has to be just a robbery it's going to be over once he takes what he wants so she mm-hmm. ties up her husband as she was told wayne then takes kristen back up to their bedroom and tied her up as well after that he comes back downstairs to doug pulls him down to the basement, and ties him to a pole. This is where Wayne continuously, savagely beats him with the metal pipe before finally pulling out an an eight-inch blade and stabbing Doug deep in the chest with it. And immediately, as soon as Doug is stabbed, he slumps over and Wayne presumes he's dead. So, takes care of Doug, but he hears some shuffling upstairs. He's like, fuck, I gotta get to Kristen. So, Wayne runs upstairs to Kristen, finds that she has partially undone her restraints, and was reaching for the landline. So he jumped on top of her, was able to restrain her again, tie her up again, and this time when he was finally confident that she wouldn't escape, he went back down to the basement to make sure Doug was actually dead. And again, Doug was slumped over, the same position he was left in, assumed dead. Mm -hmm. But he wasn't.
1: (laughs) (coughs) Don't fuck with Doug.
0: Don't fuck with Doug. (laughs) Wayne went back upstairs this second time to assault Kristen. And despite his horrific head injuries, stabbing in the chest and overall damage to his body, Doug was able to wriggle out of his restraints, hobble over to a workbench that he had. And see, what Wayne didn't know was that Doug was a gunsmith and he had a Uh rifle (laughs) right there on the workbench. So Doug loaded it with the one round that he had walked up the stairs scanned the ground floor for rain didn't see him on the ground floor but he heard his wife screaming from their room upstairs so again very calmly rifle raised he made his way up the stairs to the second floor for reference their second floor hallway had a right and a left side that both of them were Mm -hmm. out of sight from the stairway so you could hear people but you really just saw the stairway yeah so As Doug has his rifle raised on the stairs, he hears his wife in their bedroom on the left, and he hears heavy footsteps running down the hallway to the landing where Doug is. Again, still can't see him, can only see the top of the landing. So Doug waits patiently until he has Wayne in his sights, and as soon as Wayne rounded the corner with his knife raised to come and get Doug, Doug fired one shot right in the stomach shocked at what just happened Wayne staggers backwards while Doug only having the one round turned his gun around like a baseball bat and started to smash Wayne in as he continued to just like stumble and fall backwards down the hallway to where Kristen is so Wayne manages to get away briefly he runs into their bedroom where Kristen is still tied up grabs his pistol and fires three times at the door where Doug is now standing The first bullet hits Doug in the leg. The other two miss, and Doug is unfazed. Simply walks up to Wayne and starts bashing his head in with his rifle. He actually beats him so hard and so many times that the stock of the rifle explodes and the metal of the rifle (laughs) is bent like an L. At some point during Wayne getting savagely beaten, he drops his pistol. Doug sees this and he fires the remaining rounds into wayne's head police and paramedics rush to the scene all three people are taken to the hospital to be treated for their injuries doug and kristen make a full recovery while wayne died the following day so like what the fuck happened like how who is this guy (laughs) what an alpha like what what happened so the police are doing some digging to find out who this guy was and like Why in the hell would he come into this guy's house and do this? For no reason, apparently. Well, it turns out he was a serial killer who was connected to at least six cold (laughs) cases from 1974 to 1986. But now that he was dead and unable to confess, the actual number could be much higher.
1: Hmm. That's the story. This was Wayne? Yes. The serial killer? Okay. (laughs) it. sounds like a slasher movie.
0: It does, doesn't Where, it? Where
1: like, yeah, Doug just miraculously comes back on the brink of death, and <laughs> I
0: know, <laughs> just
1: destroys this guy. <laughs> Jeez, that's gratuitous. I like that one though.
0: Yeah, me too. It was very satisfying. Mm-hmm. All right, so this is my last one. It's a little bit shorter, okay. but I titled this one "The Cost of Mercy." On September 28th, 1918, this is during World War I, British soldier Henry Tandy found himself in a trench in northern France. At this point, Henry was already considered a war hero and he would go on to be the most decorated private soldier in World War I. Some of his past achievements were taking part in the First Battle of Ypres in October 1914 and the Battle of the Somme in 1916, where he was wounded in the leg. He went to Ypres for a few years after that and took part in a successful British capture for which he earned a Victoria cross. But all of these accomplishments, none of them is what he would be remembered for. This is what he is most remembered for. Again, we're in Northern France on September 28th, 1918. After a very long day of fighting, our hero Henry was propped up on the edge of his trench, rifle aimed right at the German line. He was on the front line. It was dark, quiet, misty, basically the start of a horror story. But it was very still. You could hear the crickets chirping, the leaves blowing. It was very tough to see through the fog. All of a sudden, he sees a figure staggering towards him in the distance, coming right at him, the mist instinctively Henry raises his gun but he doesn't shoot because you know being a good soldier that he was he wanted to make sure that who he was aiming for was actually the enemy who knows mm. it's dark it could be one of his own injured men staggering to camp from the other side right. so he is waiting patiently with his rifle minutes still pointed at the figure so quiet Henry finally makes him out to be a badly injured German soldier It appeared he was unarmed, and it seemed like he was very disoriented, clearly not realizing he was walking directly into the line of fire, not alone directly Mm -hmm. at a soldier whose gun is aimed at him in a trench. So Henry was able to confirm, yes, this is the enemy. So Henry pointed his rifle right at the soldier's heart and got ready to fire. He waited until the soldier staggered closer, and when they were about 30 meters apart, the German soldier finally spotted Henry and realized his mistake. But instead of running away, the soldier just stared at Henry and kind of just seemed to accept his fate on that night that he was going to mm. die. Henry had shot many men before, but he was struggling with whether or not he should actually shoot this unarmed man who was injured. It, it felt like a cheap, unfair shot to a pathetic man. He's unarmed. Like he, Not only is he yeah. unarmed, but he's injured. So Henry took a moment, rifle still drawn, he's thinking about what he should do. He looks to his left, looks to his right to make sure nobody else is going to watch it to witness it, and he lowers his gun at the German soldier. The two stared at each other for a couple minutes, wondering, you know, what, what are they going to do? What happens next? Mm-hmm. But finally, the German soldier nods his head and thanks for sparing his life, and he hobbled back into the mist. Fast forward 10 years, a photograph appeared in London newspapers of Henry, this war hero, carrying a wounded soldier back at Ypres. Ypres? Is that how I said it was pronounced? Ypres? Ypres. 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 Mm -hmm. This was later painted on a canvas to glorify the Allied war effort. In 1938, British Prime Minister traveled to Germany in a last-ditch effort to avoid another war in Europe world war ii he was -hmm. taken by the fuhrer to his new country retreat in bavaria and there hitler showed chamberlain his copy of this painting and he commented that's the man who nearly shot me that man came so near to killing me that i thought i should never see germany again providence saved me from such devilishly accurate fire as those english boys were aiming at us so the injured shoulder the one henry spared was adolf hitler
1: Oh, uh, Henry, you uh, should have made a different choice there, bud. I don't know. <laughs> I think a lot of people would have been much better off. Well, yeah, I you know, I'm having a lot of trouble thinking about whether or not most of these are true or whether or not most of them are false.
0: I was hoping but... that you would have a hard time. <laughs> was... Yeah. I think I, I have I tried, a good idea. Okay. I tried hard to make the fake ones seem real. I did like research on places and like historical things and yeah. just like embellish them and make them feel like they could be more plausible. But okay. So the first one was called Don't Fall Asleep. And that one was about the experimentation yeah. on POWs during World War II. Mm-hmm. Uh What are you thinking, Jared? You oh, so thoughts? we're doing
1: one at a time. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I time. have heard of this one before. But again, the only thing that I'd known about it was they had this really disturbing picture because yeah. it was, like, the Russian sleep experiment. That was this big mm-hmm. thing. Um, and it was exactly, like, what you were talking about. But then they found that that visual was this, like, really creepy, albeit, like, human-like Halloween decoration. Yeah. So although it sounds historically accurate and like the detail that you went into it and like the little extra tidbits that you provided i don't think that the russian sleep experiment actually happened i think that one's bullshit
0: is that your final guess yes okay well jared i have to say you are correct that is false i feel like we're
1: on a game show <laughs> i know <laughs> oh that was so i'm relieved i was
0: so afraid that like people were gonna know that one but like i love that one so much so i figured it's like, such I a just good one yeah spice it up it's That's even longer story. than that but uh it's a, it's a good mm-hmm. one. i thought it was real for the longest time i think i actually yeah, didn't I did know too. it wasn't real until like maybe five years ago <laughs> like, yeah i saw that picture i was
1: like there's no way a human can look that messed yeah. up to the point where like their f- features change so drastically so yeah that that was a good story though I
0: yes that. so that one that one was false so the second one uh is called do you really want to know and this one was about mm-hmm. uh anora the figure skater who's it's presumed uh figure skating coach killed her parents and was writing those terrible mm-hmm. things in the wiki about her after he was obsessed with her
1: um what was the year that this one was in? Two thousand. It was like the fifties or the eighties, or no, eleven. No, yeah, uh, twenty
0: eleven.
1: Yeah, because you said the internet was a big thing.
0: Before. Yeah, so at, at age twelve, she was sixteen in two thousand eleven. Let me do math. So two thousand seven would be the first time that she okay found herself seven so, two
1: thousand seven through eleven. Okay, this one sounds true enough but the one thing that throws it for me is like the sergio was his name mm-hmm. he was like predicting that she would win these competitions and mm-hmm. there's just no way that you could like accurately predict because there was two of them that he did right
0: yeah two at least two competitions
1: that she went on to win okay mm-hmm. so i think this one i think this one's bullshit too are you sure that's <laughs> that's my final answer
0: okay jared once again you are correct oh, this one was cool. based two off of two. a, a creepy pasta i found and i rewrote it to be more realistic ish mm-hmm. um but i i so like that was like the one thing i forgot to write in so like i had the same thing like how can he accurately predict and i was gonna say like well she was his he was her coach like he yeah would know her progress but like yeah mm-hmm. i'm with
1: you i love okay. creepy pastas though me this too. is like what most of these sound like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I know they're so fun. All right, yeah. uh, the next one is what's the scoop? And this one was <laughs> about the Anna Doria. Is that what it was called?
1: The two ships. Yeah. Yes, and the the, An- Stockholm. the
0: the Stockholm and the Andrea Doria, and them colliding, and then the news reporter mm-hmm. whose daughter was miraculously saved.
1: I'm just. This one's bullshit yeah there's yeah the, <laughs> with the bed just like narrowly escaping that impact of two cruise liners colliding to yeah I, I don't believe it
0: well jared answer. you are once again not once again this is this is a true story
1: oh <laughs> <I'll>, uh, okay <laughs> well a true story how
0: so like what how so... does that happen it scooped luck. the bed up and yeah <laughs> back so to like the what, other ship. what happened so it was like a couple stories i guess that it rammed into the ship it ran into the side wow. of it so i guess whenever it rammed in it i don't know how bowels are shaped but however it was shaped it it came up and like pushed her further in and then like pulled her back out and she was just okay. like miraculous i don't know that's what the explanation was but that was you can see like the the most confident (laughs) yeah i saw your face you're like "Mm." okay
1: no way all right
0: yeah so that one was that one was true okay number four don't fuck with doug the guy who just seemingly like does not die
1: i really really like this one and I'm, I feel like I'm I'm really skeptical about all of these, Okay. because I feel That's like fair. there's there was one true, and then the rest are false, or maybe there's two. You know, I just wanted to know like where Wayne got all these weapons from. First, he had like the pipe <laughs> he brought in. Then he had the pistol. Then he pulled out his eight inch blade.
0: It's like clue. He had all of the like, weapons in his pocket. <laughs> yeah, he's got just pulling out of random places. The lead pipe. He's got the knife. Jeez. He's got the gun
1: like got all the weapons from clue i think this one's bullshit
0: yeah final guess i'm gonna ask you if it's your final guess yeah. after everyone so i'm gonna if yeah. you're hesitating okay. i'm just
1: gonna be really skeptical on these this one's okay. bullshit
0: all right jared this one is true
1: okay well i'm really glad that i'm wrong about this because doug <laughs> is my hero
0: isn't that awesome i yeah. love this one <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Doug Doug is the uh, is the hero and that man was presumed to be a serial killer. Crazy, crazy stuff. All right. Very last one, The Cost of Mercy, number 5. Mm-hmm. What is your guess? Oh, this is sorry. This was the uh Hitler was almost killed in World War 1. But yeah. he was saved.
1: I so I'm really really bad at history. Okay. Like, laughably so.
0: Jared, I was in and your I... AP history class. I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm also it really bad terrible. at It was terrible.
1: It's my worst subject. So I can't, for the life of me, remember if Hitler was actually a soldier in World War I. Okay. I know he went to art school and did not do very well.
0: Yeah. Then he got really bitter.
1: But... <sighs> I've already got two of them wrong. I can't. I need to get at <laughs> least above
0: fifty percent. What
1: sixty percent? Yeah, something like that. Okay. So I think this one is true.
0: Finally, I think
1: that Henry spared Adolf Hitler. Yeah, I think this one's true. No shit.
0: <laughs> so this one is actually undetermined but leaning towards uh, true. So it's so you would have okay. gotten it either way. I would have given it to you either way. All right. Cool. So it was originally a true story, but I was digging into it and there is like kind of disputed. So I have here um I have like pros and cons. So pro mm-hmm. the the encounter. Um it is still in dispute although There is evidence that Hitler did have a reproduction of that painting, um, which was very strange, especially for a man who had been furious and devastated by the German defeat at the Allied hands in World War One. And this Mm -hmm. was depicting an Allied victory, like Allied success. So like, why would he have this painting? Um, And it was also said Hitler was a soldier and during his time as a soldier in World War One he said the experiences of his battle first the glory and then the disillusion and despondence would color the rest of his life and career and he admitted that after leading his country into another devastating conflict quote when I returned from the war I brought back home with me my experiences at the front and out of them I built my national socialist community. Mm-hmm. On the con side, it's likely that Hitler specifically picked that date after seeing how decorated of a soldier Henry was. He might have just been more mm-hmm. calculated and made it seem like he was the chosen one to fit his narrative. Um, yeah. And Hitler also looked much different whenever he was in the war. So, like, it's kind of impossible to. We're really having to take Hitler's word on this that henry is the one who saved him based on the picture and the photograph because yeah. there's no way that henry would be able to tell that was hitler both because it was dark and because at the time he had like this like handlebar mustache like not the typical mm-hmm. hitler one that we know of him as so like right. he just looked completely different but yeah okay so that's that it, it could be true we, we it Marshall might be credit. true yeah exactly exactly that was a little tricky but yeah, that's what I've got yeah. for you, Jared. That was fun. Thank you. This is so I thought fun.
1: I was so confident about all of them, though. <laughs> I, can't, I still can't believe Your that. face during the third one. <laughs> one. I was like, okay,
0: sure. <laughs> just
1: go ahead and scoop up that bed. Broken arm, nothing else.
0: <laughs> yep, unscathed. Unscathed. She yeah. she did get uh, PTSD. PTSD. So like, there's oh, that. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like survivors well, now I just feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I saw that her her husband was the mayor of New Jersey at some point. He was a mayor of some kind. I don't She's know.
1: Moving up in the world.
0: Yeah, I know, right? Broken yeah. arm, shipwreck, mayor's wife. Yeah. Well, thank you, Jared, for joining me this week. I really appreciate it. Thanks this Thanks for is super having fun. me. Um, if you are looking for more of us, you can find us at Me Crisis Pod on Facebook. Probably not Twitter anymore, or whatever Elon wants to call it, um, and Instagram. X. Don't um, call it Twitter. Don't call it. I mean, X. like, how can you? I don't get it. I don't understand what. So stupid. I saw this meme so where, stupid. like, you know how people buy plants and they try to return them. It was a picture of Elon Musk holding a plant, <laughs> and he's like, "It was alive when I bought it." and... It's just, like, a dead plant. i didn't know it's people
1: tried to return plants
0: oh yeah yes it's very wow. okay sometimes they'll even have like a warranty date like if like 30 days and it's dead like bring it back and we'll give it we'll give you a new one but like cool if you kill your plant like <laughs> you just don't know how to take care of it
1: i killed a cactus once
0: i thought you were gonna say cat at first and i was cactus. Like that is not no. with my Disney god battle. no i killed I, I killed succulents all the time i can't keep them alive
1: yeah they're really hard to kill but
0: <laughs> yeah
1: i killed them yeah
0: did you overwater it
1: i think it's i think i did yeah because they're like yeah. you don't need to water it that much and i was like i'll yeah. do once a month
0: <laughs> And then that was, was apparently too much, much. <laughs> for it yeah. i couldn't take it <laughs> yeah well we never said that we were good at taking care of plants
1: yeah it was a learning experience
0: yeah we can't we're, we're plant killers yep on this podcast all right well thank you i will let you head back to all the fun things that you're doing at home jared uh and i'll see you next time
1: see you next time